0: Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Again, I'm Ingrid Cochran, and we are going to have a very interesting and hopefully healing discussion today about grief and loss during the holidays. And um, obviously, this is a very timely discussion as we are um, in the holiday season and closing out the year. Today, I have with me two guests. First is Alisa Stone. She is a grief specialist with Yolo Cares in California. And then I also have former Paces Connection employee, Gail Kennedy, who is now a well-being consultant. And I'm very excited to have both of you here today. Um, Let's let's just jump right in. So first, I definitely want to hear, you know, um, you know, who are you? How'd you get into this work? Um, and anything that you want to tell um, our audience about yourself? Elisa, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, thanks. Hi, everybody. So um, I started this job a year ago, but my life has really been on a path toward this exact position. It's kind of strange. When I was 17, my favorite person in the world, my brother, he was 22, died of cancer, um, Mm -hmm. rocked our family. He was my only sibling. And um, shortly thereafter, I went away to college and majored in psychology and human development and minored in early childhood education. So I started working with little people when I got out of school, I owned my own preschool for 20 years. And um, when I retired from that, I I loved so much working with families um, and helping families with kids with mm-hmm. multitudes of issues that um, I ended up working um, in the nonprofit sector. I was a director of a preschool for homeless children. And you can imagine the multitudes of social services and needs and demands. Um, for those families. Um, And then I also did a lot of parenting classes. Um, Then I worked for a faith community for eight years where I did a lot of end of life with seniors, Um, learned a lot about grief, did a lot of caregiver support. When this position started, um, it just felt right. So I am a grief specialist. I also coordinate the YOLO Cares for Kids program, which is a grief support program for children ages five up. Um, So I work with little ones, I work with teens, uh, young adults as well. I do something called bibliotherapy where I write make, um, we do art and crafts and play games and I upload photos and their artwork and their memories into books that then they they can then keep. So losing my brother um, and working a lot in psychology and working a lot with children it all formulated into this position um, to support people in grief. I also lost my first son at two weeks old in my twenties, my mom of cancer in my thirties, and then my dad of dementia in my forties. So there's been a fair amount of loss in my life from death. And there's been losses that aren't, aren't all deaths. And we will talk more a little bit about that later. So that's me.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story, Gil. Same question, what do you want our audience to know about you?
3: Thank you, Ingrid, and I'm grateful to be here. Um, Well, I, uh, as Ingrid said, I was a employee uh, uh, at Paces Connection for, I think, probably 10 years. I started volunteering. I, um, I have a master's in public health and I was working in academic clinical care in HIV um, at a university in California and learned about the ACE study now, probably 15 years ago. And I was at a, a one of the most premier, you know, academic centers in, in the country uh, and hadn't, didn't know anything about the ACE study. And as a, you know, master's in public health, I'm like, why didn't I know about this? And that I have an A score for, I um, learned a lot kind of quickly and I got very immersed in it. So I started, as I was saying, I started as a volunteer and was just very enthusiastic to um, share the information, share the findings from the ACE study. And so then I was... Lucky to to be close, live close, and get to know Jane Stevens, the founder of Paces Connection, Aces Connection at the time, and so then started to work with um, uh, with Aces Connection. It changed to the to its current name, Paces Connection, and I um, and then in there, my husband got sick with cancer and he died. So that was two, a little over two years ago, and I. I I, I I mean, Pace's Connection was fabulous. They really supported me in my, what I needed. Um, but I realized I was sort of transitioning from Pace's Connection and um, moving to a 50% before my husband was sick, uh, moving to a 50% position. And so then I really started thinking, um, I mean, it was recognizing how precious life is, and realized I um, wanted to focus really on well-being and how to help support people. How we care for ourselves helps us show up for others. And um, so I was in that transition as my husband got sick, and you know I realized how important caring for myself when my husband was sick with cancer and after he died. And I was so grateful I found um grief support with YOLO cares. And uh so I'm I'm very I have a lot to say about grief and um so that's that's who I am and let's let's keep talking.
1: Thanks, Gail. Thanks for sharing. I know that you know both of you kind of touched on, you know, your personal losses and and I want to get into, you know, what really draws you to to this work. I do know that, you know, everyone that I've encountered that works in in grief is is very purpose driven, and they also see the world in a very unique way. Um, and so, you know, what draws you to work in this space of of grief and loss? And Alisa, we'll we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you live it, two things happen when you live with the severe trauma of grief. One is people disappear, and the other is people show up. And I was so fascinated by and surprised by which people did which thing, right? <laughs> I decided I wanted to be the kind of person that would show up. You know, I had a natural love of relationships. I'm a mix, more of an extrovert. Um, So shortly after my own loss of my son, my girlfriend had a stillborn baby. And I couldn't have gotten to that hospital faster because I didn't want things to go poorly for her. It was a bad enough situation and I wanted to support this family. Um, So I think think what happens is when we see grief being disregarded and we're in this field and we see the trauma that happens on top of the loss you're already experiencing, we wanna make a difference. And that's definitely what I felt. When my brother died, no one talked to me. forgot to mention me in the memorial service it was inexcusable but here I was this kid just like with a family that had fallen apart I didn't know how to navigate that so every time I talk to a kid I'm like I I I get that this is really hard no two experiences are the same but it's just so important to to show up for each other you don't have to know somebody to to really be present and so yeah, that I think, I think my motivation is, let's do this differently because loss can make us better people, if we can not do it in a way that is supportive and loving. So that's why I got into this work.
1: Yeah, thank you. And and you know, when you say loss has the ability to make us better people, it, you know that translates to you know, post traumatic growth, and we often talk about post-traumatic stress, but we don't give enough attention um, to post-traumatic growth and all of the, the things that go along with that and how we grow as we experience loss and grief and how it is kind of a window into a new version of ourselves as we um, shed things that maybe are you know, a part of that loss or our reflection of the new version of ourselves that emerges after that loss. Thank you for touching on that.
2: I love that you said new version of ourselves, because what, what often I hear in, in grief counseling with adults is I just want to go back to normal. Mm, Yeah. What I, what I try to explain is what I think is more true and, and nothing is for everybody, but what I think is more true is that we become, we create a new normal So that growth through adversity, I mean, look, nobody ever wants that adversity and I would never wish it on anyone. And I would take back every single loss I had if I could, Mm -hmm. of course, but we can't, what can we do? What is our power in it? Our power is how can this make me better really? Um, And what can I be to the world? What can I be in the way of service?
1: Yeah. Gail, what about you? What draws you to working in this space of of grief and loss?
3: Well, very similar to Elisa. Um, I I felt like so many people showed up for me. Um, And I... I'm really, I feel like I'm very privileged to be able to be in my grief and stay and, and, and follow this journey. Um, so many people, you know, how many days off do you, I think you get three days for grief or something mm. crazy. It's crazy. Um, so I want to be able to be there for others. Um, I have a core group of people that I now know that I know because of the grief support that I was able to to receive. Um, and I also, one of the things that I think is is part of like this well-being stuff that I'm trying to work on is we do a lot of talking about grief and uh, the gr- grief trauma loss, grief, it, it, it lives in our bodies. And, um, I would love to, I'm hoping to help raise that in ways in which we really haven't done much talking about, like, what does that mean? And how can we, um, support people, uh, in Understanding how it's manifesting, how it's coming out, how it's in the body, and 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 also like we don't, there isn't any. Like I wanted a textbook, I wanted a like a, a how to guide for grief after my husband died, um, and that doesn't exist. As Elisa said, everybody's grief is different, um, but I would like to to be somebody that can app actually offer different solutions that maybe don't exist yet,
1: yeah. so. Yeah, thank you so much. I I think, you know, this conversation, you know, I really wanted to make sure that we had it because it's it's very important. And I know that people really struggle um, at the end of the year and, and through the holidays and, you know, the, and all throughout the year, you know, birthdays, um, milestones, right? But uh, it seems as though the holidays really exasperate existing um, issues, existing feelings of grief and loss. Um, any, they exasperate, you know, any mental health issues that may be already existing. And so it's, it's important to ask the question, you know, why the holidays? Why do people experience um, grief and loss during the holidays? Um, what is it about this time? What are you, what are your thoughts on that, Elisa?
2: Yeah, I think well, one of the hardest things that that happens to human beings is is we have expectations, and when those expectations aren't met, we feel sadness, right? So we expect typically these people to be in our lives, and they're not. And then we have thrown at us through every source of media possible from the grocery store. You can't go down a cereal aisle without seeing, you know, a Santa on a cereal bar. It's ridiculous. Right. We don't get a break from it. Even when you try, you're going to go on an elevator and hear Christmas music like you cannot get away from sort of this, at least the secular stuff. Right. So then we have this built-up expectation, societal built-up expectation of happy-go-lucky. You see these scenes of people happy at the table and everything's perfect and warm and cozy and abundant. And, oh, my goodness, that is true for, what, 4% of our world? Abundance is not there for so many people and not at the fault of themselves. So we, we create expectations. We have a void and we watch everybody around us doing things that, that just remind us of these losses. Often the buildup for the holidays are worse for grief than the actual day, because there's so much anticipati- anticipation of what, what is going to be missing. Right. So I think it's one of those things that this is our time gets highlighted. We can't just go through a Monday and just, Have a bad day. No, it's Christmas. We're supposed to do this, this, and this. And we can't because that person's not here. We don't have the traditions that we had because those people aren't with us. You know, often we have so much expectations from our childhood. Um, Maybe you had a good one, and so you want a good adulthood or vice versa. I mean, it's just, it's so loaded. So, of course, our grief is going to be spotlighted.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what, what about you? Why do you think the holidays are, you know, such a particularly um, exhausting time or triggering time for those who are experiencing grief and loss?
3: I mean, I think about um, the songs, the, those Christmas songs that you hear, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, you know, it's like it, there's so much expectation and. um the loss, but also loss is big and broad. So maybe you lost your job and you then can't, you can't have the Christmas that that's on the cards and on the cereal boxes Mm -hmm. and and you're supposed to be having. Um, And also it's just, it's it's just so complicated um, because those traditions aren't there. And, do you create new traditions? And uh, one thing I think is, is um, you know, we have a loneliness epidemic in this country. Uh, we have heard that from our Surgeon General and there's now more stuff coming out about it. I think that we, um, it just, this time exacerbates what, um, what is hard. For us, um, and I, I have to say, having Christmas in the darkest time—you know, the 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 lunar solar uh, or um, the um, winter solstice, which is two days before Christmas—is um, it's dark, and um, and I think it's just there's this complex a uh, situation that we're supposed to be happy and out and fun and holiday time. And yet our bodies are really wanting to sleep more and kind of be more internal. And that's what, what there's, there's a tension yeah. there.
1: Yeah. To hibernate. We want to hibernate right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. But and- hibernating, sorry, you one other thing, hibernating yeah. when like for, in my case, where I lost the person that I would have kind of hibernated with it's like that it exacerbates the loneliness as well
1: yes yeah i think you know both of your responses bring up so many things you know we're talking about grief being compounded by capitalism by isolation um by societal expectations around happiness and and what that looks like and what that means uh exasperated by the use of media as a tool. And, and definitely, um, this issue of, you know, our kind of meaning making. So we have these expectations generally come from our childhood. Um, and when we are young, we tend to think in these very concrete ways, you know, there's happy, there's sad, there's no gray area. Uh, and so, um, as we get older and we have these types of events that bring us back to our childhood, make us think about our childhood, we're reminded of simpler times. Um, We are also reminded, you know, that we should be happy that we want to get back to those times when we were happy and and, um, really, you know, again, simpler times for ourselves as well. I think this is important to talk about because it's, you know, on on this podcast, we always like to examine things from a social-ecological lens, and we want to talk about, you know, historical context and and all the different ways that um, we should be aware of ourselves and our emotions and our feelings and how it ties to many things. So, you know, I know one of the things that I wanted to talk about that we discussed before is that we live in a country that is grief averse and that we have um, essentially put ourselves or painted ourselves into a corner around how we can express grief, how can we process grief. And this happens again, if we're looking at it through a social ecological lens, this happens in our childhood, right? As individuals, when we're very young, adults tell us what emotions are appropriate, which ones aren't. Um, We often don't get a roadmap as children, uh, you know, as to how to process our emotions. Um, When our families deal with loss when we are children, um, they're often shielded from us as children. We don't have those real conversations with adults as children as to why things have changed, why a certain person isn't here. Um, Some... Children want to, to talk about their grief and the adults in their space are not ready. So they shut down those conversations. And then when we get to the larger community um, aspects, how we interact, um, we have generational issues around grief. Our extended family, our grandparents, they have their own issues around grief. We are sending messages from them as to what's appropriate, what's not. And that may not be what's for us. Um, and then we have to think about, you know, how are we supported within the larger society? What policies are there, you know, bereavement rights? And what does it mean to be, again, in a capitalist society where you have to work and then you have a loved one that you've lost? Um, Also, what does it mean if it's not a loved one? Maybe, like you said before, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a way of living. Um, And then these larger kind of the time and space that we're in Um, we are in a very individualistic society uh, and we have also gone through a process of colonization that has stripped all of our traditions away from us. And so we are ill-equipped because we really don't know what it means to process grief in a communal way. Um, And so there's so much there. Um, When you think about, you know, kind of, and this is you know, we don't have a lot of time, we're gonna jump into a break, but when you think about what is the reason why we're so risk, you know, um, grief averse, if you think about one word, it kind of puts it together. What is that for you? Why are we so risk averse, I mean, grief averse in this country? Alisa, what do you think?
2: There's no way I could do that in one word, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are grief averse mainly because we are not living in extended family communities mm-hmm. most of the time. And we don't death. Death happens in hospitals. It happens away from us. Mm-hmm. We were, for the past hundred years, encouraged to be strong. Those bootstraps that we're supposed to keep pulling ourselves up by. California state workers get three days of bereavement. Let me tell you, after three days, you haven't even inhaled what that loss is in your life. That's ridiculous. That is inhumane.
1: Yeah, I definitely understand that. And that the communal piece really resonates with me. Uh, Gail, what about you? If you could kind of put it into one word, what is, why are we grief averse in in this country? I think we don't,
3: nothing was modeled to us. And we don't, I'm just going to be very personal here. speaks personally. Before I lost my husband, I had like, I'd lost grandparents, but I really hadn't experienced loss. And so when someone experienced loss in my life, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. So I tended to just not like, oh, I don't want to bring it up. It might, like, it might be, I might say the wrong thing. And so very much if we don't know how to do it, we tend to not do it very well.
1: <laughs> yeah, to kind of shut down. Um, yeah. 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 This is a topic that resonates with me for sure. I, I must admit, uh, personally, um, I am not good with consoling others when they're experiencing grief. Um, and I'm also not great with processing my own. So, this is something that I know about myself. And so I'm always very interested in how and and I definitely think that this is also tied to you know my background as a as a, a black woman in America that there's there's these um intersectionality and in, in identities that make it harder for some to express grief, and I think that that is also you know worth exploring. Um, what does it mean for me as an individual who has generations? Of of people telling me that I do not should not express my emotions that I need to soldier on that I need to suck it up. Um, so let's let's take a break and we'll jump back into, you know, what are the factors that make um, this country so grief averse, and then what are the things that we can do to move us forward? We'll have some tips and some resources. So hold on just one moment. We'll be back after the break.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
2: This podcast is supported by St. David's Foundation, a community-focused and equity-driven organization supporting health and well-being in Central Texas. To learn more about St. David's Foundation, visit www.stdavidsfoundation.org.
0: Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran.
1: We are back, thank you so much. Um, We have been having a conversation about grief and loss during the holidays. I'm joined by Elisa Stone, who is a um, grief specialist with Yolo Cares and also Gail Kennedy, a former Paces Connection team member and who is now a well being consultant. Um, in the first half, uh, we talked about, you know, kind of how you, the both of you, were able to get into this work, what drives you um, to work in the space of grief and loss. And right before we went into the break, we um, started this conversation about how we as a country are grief averse. And um, I disclose it is uh, definitely an area that I always, um, Struggle with how to um, console others when they're experiencing grief, and definitely how to process my own. And I I know for sure that I'm not alone in this. Um, kind of like what Gil um, brought up is, you know, we don't have a model for how to get this done. And then also, um, we talked a little bit about how our traditions have been stripped through different, lots of different processes we have as human beings, we have indigenous um, practices and traditional practices uh, for grief and actually, you know, for every part of life really but we are no longer driven in this communal space largely because of issues like tribalism and um, colonization and racism. But we've we've been kind of stripped of this communal um, way of being that um, Alisa, you brought up, you know, that we don't see people pass away, that we uh, don't live with extended families. We're just really in a a space where we are very individualistic, um, thus the reason for our, you know, issues around, you know, this isolation epidemic and loneliness epidemic that we're in now. Um, Let's jump back into that conversation again, why we as a collective, are grief averse? And then how can people um begin the process of processing their own grief? How do you learn to be there to show up for someone who is grieving? Um, Alisa, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, you know, what you made me think about is so yellow cares is a we do many things, but one of, one of the main things we are is a hospice organization, nonprofit hospice organization. And I think a lot of people don't realize they, they have the right to pick their hospice, no matter what your health care coverage is. Um, and what's beautiful about having hospice come in is that you are with your loved one in your home, no more hospitals, no more um, interventions that really cause more harm than good toward the end of life. So what is beautiful about what we do um, and about the experience and, and my first experience with hospice was my dad was on hospice and, and I had that team in my home. He lived with me until he died from Alzheimer's, is we, we walk that process as a family. I had four children that, that were with me from age, I don't know seven to 16 at the time. And I taught them about death. They saw it. They were part of it. I was very careful not to have it be traumatic as much as I could control. Um, but, But I wanted them to know. We had pets. When you have pets, they die. I didn't replace the pets with a new one while they were at school. I taught them about loss and about death. When they didn't make it on a team and they cried about it, I didn't come up with a solution. I just held them when they cried about it. Now, I certainly didn't do everything right as a parent. I'm not trying to say that. But I think the biggest, most important thing is to, to be part of a family and to to walk through the end of life with the people that we love if we can. And the second most important thing is that we can teach our children how to be part of that process. We aren't going to get away from this. We all will experience death. Mm-hmm. It's the thing we know that's going to happen. It will happen, right? So let's teach loss, because that means we also love.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this makes me think about kind of what we said before about generational issues. So um, I'm probably, you know, at a loss for how to deal with grief because I know that I can see that in my mother that she struggles with it with her mother, my grandmother. and and her sisters. And and so I think that, you know, we definitely want to consider the generational aspect of this as well. And I definitely talked before about how um, intersectionality and identity plays a part, you know, grieving when it, for men versus women, grieving when it, based on race, grieving based on social economic status. Like there's so much there um, Gail, I know that you uh, have your own thoughts about why we are in the space that we're in and how we have become so grief-averse as a country. What do you think is kind of, root? because I know you talked a little bit about, about modeling, but what is what does that look like? Why have we gotten to this point where we are no longer able to really process grief in an appropriate way?
3: Um, you know, I think we... As Elisa said, we don't. It it's disconnected. i mm. um, one thing that I have started doing, and Yolo cares offers it. They um they offer talking about death. We don't talk about death. Um, I think, and and if people, what Elisa the story that Elisa told about her her father and having her father die at home with support from her family um that is the same but very similar with my husband um he he did go into hospice it was late though and i think the healthcare providers weren't talking to us about you know we we want to save we want to we want to throw everything we can at at any kind of illness and um and I think our whole, the way in which we do this in this country, you know, we throw pills, we throw therapy, we throw everything at it. And that's fabulous. That's great. But also understanding that sometimes those aren't, like, as Elisa said, we're all going to die. And so talking about death, there's death cafes that are starting to be, um, popular um we did a dinner with death at Yolo Cares not that long ago where we just came together in a in a comfortable safe space and talked about what death looks like what our fears are um what our thoughts are um and our experiences and so I think that's one of the ways along with I think it's really important this thing about culture and traditions um My, in my family, the tradition was don't talk about it and talk about like, like keep the children away. Um, But there, like in lots of places, death is a part of, of life. And, um, and I wish we were closer to that. I wish we could bring some of those traditions back. Mm -hmm. And I think the hospice tradition is, is a great one to, to, to think about. And, Mm -hmm. um. and I'll just put a plug-in for death doulas and and death um like those folks that are wanting to talk about death in this country.
1: Yeah, so when we're talking about traditions, there's there's so much and um I often like to put everything into again this lens of history yeah. and how we have kind of sanitized the way that we you know, sanitize life. And, and so the things that we believe should be sanitized out, right, are, are things that we don't want to think about or talk about. Um, and, and death is one of those things. Um, and that has left us in a space where we no longer have um, indigenous traditions, that really are embedded into our way of living. So not that up uh, death has happened and now we pull out the book on what to do, but that it's in you know it's embedded within our lives that we are always thinking about um, the you know the lifespan. And, and this is something that is very interesting to me because um, the way that I think about it is I often when I work with parents I tell them. You know, you're not raising a child; you're raising a a grown-up, right? You got to think about the whole lifespan, um, and that includes death. And so, what does it mean to operate in a way or live in a way where you cl- understand clearly that you are not um, immortal, that you will pass away? And what does that mean for your family? And what does that mean for your planning and the way that you live life? Uh, and I think one of the ways that this really um, shows up is that, you know, so many of us are just not prepared to pass away. We we don't have life insurance. We don't have wills. We don't have, you know, we haven't done all the things that we need to do. We're acting as though it's not going to happen to us because we're disconnected from the reality um, or running from the reality, not even disconnected, but also, um, you know, believing that it, this isn't something that happens to other people. Um, so, This conversation, you know, I want to go back to kind of the intersectionality and identities and how that connects and generational issues. And I know, Alisa, you had brought that up before, like, you know, um, death through generations and how that impacts families and communities. And you also brought up something that I thought was very interesting around our communal way of living. Um, Can you expound a little bit on that before we kind of get into some tips um, of what we can do to um, process our grief during the holidays?
2: Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that I've learned in this role is, because I've looked into a little bit of the history as well, because it doesn't make any sense that we've gone backwards, not forwards. There were times where you would wear a black armband, because one of the one of the aspects of grief is you get this mush brain, you forget stuff. And that that band was like, okay, this person's going through this. <laughs> Cut them a little slack, right? What a beautiful thing to do as a society. You didn't have to say anything. You didn't really. It, but they just wore that band, right? So we've stopped all of these, you know, wearing black for a year. We've stopped these things that actually were indicators in our society to walk gently, to be sensitive, to be kind to people a little bit more than than typical. You know, I think after World War II, what was the, what, after the blitz, what was the saying, keep calm and carry on? Wow, this isn't calm. You're getting bombed. There's this death all around you. You have the right to feel. We have these statements that we say, things like, well, I'm going off, but <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. ugly cry. No, it's a beautiful thing to feel your feelings. That's how we get through grief. So yeah, there's these, and and then all the losses that we hold, that we've inherited. It's in our bones. Mm-hmm. We turn each generation, right? Uh, my my mother was a um, a World War II survivor. She was in Amsterdam. She was in the underground. She was shot at. She was starved. That affects me. That is in me. Um, and in all of the different cultures and repression and trauma, it is in all of us. Yeah. Grief, and, and if we can't talk about that in a way that we feel it, we don't process it. We don't metabolize it. We never say we heal grief. Again, we become new people in it, deeper people. Hopefully you love more fiercely because you know what it is to lose. Right. But that stuff's there and we have to acknowledge it. We have to speak it and we have to feel it.
1: Yeah. And that goes back to kind of that post-traumatic growth that, um, who we are after we experience loss. And kind of going back to what Gail was saying, that we want to be clear that loss can be many things. It doesn't have to be um, the death of a person. It can be many things. It could be the end of a lifestyle, the end of a job. I mean, so many of us are processing the difference in, you know, our in in our lives now that we've gone through a pandemic, we live a very different way. We might be processing that loss. But we really need to be aware of the losses so that we can go through a process to get us to post traumatic growth. And one of the main requirements for that is this, this meaning making process. Um, and so, how are we going through the meaning making process? What does that look like? And then, for me, I'm as a, a parent of young children, I'm very interested in how I facilitate the meaning making process uh for my children. Yeah, what are your thoughts on post-traumatic growth after loss?
3: I I I mean I'm all for it and it's it's um I think we all need to be compassionate with ourselves because like I said, I wanted I wanted to get straight to the to the growth. To the growth. I wanted yeah. to I didn't want to be in the muck of the, like the grief brain, the mush brain, Mm the, um, the loneliness that, you know, like the times that you need people the most are oftentimes when people don't know what to do, don't know what to say, or everybody else has moved on and I'm still here, not not able to move on. So so I'm all for post-traumatic growth and I'm all about compassion for ourselves to be where we're at and compassion for others because there's no, I mean, any grief book or podcast or anything you hear, there's no way, everybody's grief is different. Um Alisa and the Yolo Cares group has this great visual of like just it's just a muck a whole bunch of like there's no path there's no like linear cylinder any kind of you know it's just it's just wiry all over the place so so at one minute I might be feeling great then the next minute I might be in tears um and just accepting that for ourselves and um and and others I think is is something that I am Anytime that we're talking about growth, because I think that's the other part in our culture, we just want to get straight to mm-hmm. like how to fix it, how to be better, how to like not be with the pain and the suffering. And just as death is a part of life, and when you love, you are attached to that person or that thing, you're going to suffer because that that thing, that way of life, that you know, relationship that that person is gone. And so you are going to suffer and being okay with having that and and, um, being okay that suffering is a part of life as well. I think it's one thing I wanted to put out there.
1: Yeah, I definitely think self-compassion is post-traumatic growth. I think if if we um, experience loss and we, do nothing else except for accept ourselves and are compassionate with ourselves. I think that is a huge growth for an individual and and um, and something that we need as a society. We need to learn to just, you know, be nicer to ourselves, um, to give ourselves grace and space. And, and so I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so let's talk about what's, you know, what can we do? What can people, do during the holidays to um, to help them to process, to, um, you know, help them to feel all the feelings? What are your kind of tips for our audience about processing their grief and loss during this time?
3: Well, I kind of said, I'm going to say it again, and that is be kind to ourselves. Um, recognize that, that, what the songs and the pictures and everything um my or social media everything recognize that we're not we don't need to be there and um if we're there that's great but a lot of us aren't aren't there and be compassionate with ourselves and kind to ourselves and to each other i think um, I want just to be sure that people, maybe, maybe it, you can't really, if you just are with someone who is grieving, that's all they want is to not feel alone. So it isn't like you have to do it right, just mm-hmm. be able to be there and acknowledge and maybe, you know, like people want to talk about the person they lost or whatever it is that that they're they're grieving. Um, Most of the time people are thinking about it. So if you bring it up, it isn't going to be like you brought up something they weren't thinking about. Um, And if they don't want to think about it or don't want to talk about it at that time, they will tell you. Um, But I think that so often we don't, we don't know what to say. So we don't say anything. And I would encourage to just say, you know, I'm here and let them be able to lead it, but, but don't shy away from those conversations. Yeah. Um, and I'll just put a pitch in uh, one, one last thing. And that is, um, move your body any way that, that you that you want to, that feels good because it is, it is in our bodies and, um, I mean, maybe it's dancing, maybe it's taking a walk, maybe it's playing with your dog, but just moving that body in, and and any way in which we can get out of our heads because we spend so much time in our heads and our bodies um, have a lot of wisdom to share. Oh, sorry, Elise.
1: No, thank you so much for sharing that, Gil. I mean, that was really helpful for me. It's really because it, it's validating. I'm, I like I said, I'm one of those people who always feels like I don't know what to say and do when people are experiencing loss. So then I'm just, I just, I'm just there. And I let them talk about whatever they want to talk about without judgment. So I, um, so I, I think that was validating for me.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the most important things we can do is just be curious because Gail nailed it. Like I, there's, there's a person in our group that said people say, Oh, I don't want to make you sad. Cause I brought up your loved one. we uh, or- pretty sad when we're grieving. It's not what you're doing. So if you're just curious and say, hey, I'm wondering if you want to talk about so-and-so, or if you don't, I just, I just, I'm here for you. You know, it's just be curious and and accept what it is that person says. You know, yes, talk about them. No, then don't. It's really simple. And then be curious again. Uh, But you talked about, did you want to talk a little bit about tools at the holidays? Is that something that's Good for now, or
1: yeah, um, and also any resources that you think would be good for the public, please share them um, for our audience.
2: Yeah, sure. So Yellow Cares does an awful lot for in our grief department. We run seventeen support groups. So we have fossil loss, we have anticipatory loss. If you're facing a loved one's death, we have um, we have queer loss. We have loss groups in Spanish. Most of what we do is on Zoom, so it doesn't matter where you are. Everything we do is free. Um, so we really want to be there to support you. We, and, and Gail mentioned it. We also do, um, death at the dinner table where we really talk about, um, no, it's called dinner with death. I always get that mixed up. We talk about end of life issues. What do we want at the end of our life? I mean, it's important to say it and tell your loved ones, right? Um, we do grief at the holidays. We talk a lot about rituals. Rituals are so important. Take some, light a candle, make an altar. Um, you know, cancel Christmas if that's what you need to do. You get to do that. That's the compassion piece, right? So, yeah, Yellow Cares, we work with kids, teens, young adults, um, every age group. We we just, if there's, a, if there's a program you'd like to do, we'd love to hear about it. And we encourage it. And moving, Gail, you are 100% right. We hold so much of our grief in our bodies. And the way to really work through that is to really move. You don't have to be a marathon runner, you know, just get out and walk around your block. Just go in your backyard, jump up and down.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing those resources and tips. I hope that this conversation has been um, something that resonates with our, with our audience. I think it's really important that we examine ourselves as a collective and individually as to why, um, grief and loss has become taboo as opposed to kind of embedded in, in the way that we live. And, you know, the real cost of that is that we have become disconnected from our traditions and, um, Oh, go ahead, Alisa.
2: Yeah. I forgot two of our really important resources for your listeners. We have a podcast. It's called, um, from the ground of grief. It's on Spotify. Um, it's all of our grief specialists and some of the folks at yellow hospice speaking about different aspects of grief. We also worked with the California Hospice Network, which we're a part of, and created an app called the JoyPath app that's going to be launched any day right. now. So it's got lots of resources for those who are grieving.
1: That's great. That's great. I hope our audience can can interact with those resources. And, um, and thank you for, for sharing that with us. Um, Gail, do you have any last words before we just, close out? just um because
3: these are all great resources in California and I would say reach out. They're probably like I can find a community hospice near you. Um, because the community hospices are doing more and more with talking yeah. about death and 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 how to live. Yeah.
1: How to live fully. So Thank you so much. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us for this discussion, and thank you for tuning in to us this week. Um, we will see you next week, and have a happy, have happy holidays, happy new year.
3: Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you, Ingrid.
0: Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 PM Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week.